Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, today we have Jenia DeLima on our podcast. You know, I've been doing this a while, and this is the first time I've actually had an editor on my podcast. I've had a lot of authors, but I figured, you know, it's good to see, like, the other side of things. Um, and, And you've been doing this for 20 years now, as I understand. Yes. So I've spanned across pretty much every type of writing that you can imagine. So I started off originally with newspapers in college and high school, and I did writing and editing, some of the layout, all the stuff that goes with that. And then it just naturally progressed into academia and everything that goes along with academia, writing articles, editing articles, making in-house documents for nonprofit agencies, that sort of thing. But I started getting work in fiction, just, you know, friends coming up to me and saying, hey, I know you edit and you read a lot. How would you like to look at this story? And I realized this was a lot more fun. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Let's actually kind of go through the process. So essentially... What your clients give you is the actual manuscript, or do you, are you lucky enough they maybe even see an outline before they even start the process? It depends on the client. Some <laughs> clients, yes. Some clients, it comes earlier in the process, and so we don't have a full manuscript yet. They might just have their idea. They've started writing it. It's a very rough draft. It might not be complete, and they're looking for guidance and writing coaching for how do I get from step A to step B? Is there anything in here that you think is missing? How is my world building? How do these characters come across? Because sometimes how we envision our characters and how we perceive them isn't how they come across on the page. And it's always better to know that early on so you don't have as much work later as you would if you addressed it right away. What do you think is the most common mistake that especially first-time writers make? Show, don't tell, which everybody hears, but there is this tendency to want to just share everything that you know about this character and everything about your world building. And instead of integrating it throughout the manuscript or letting the character reveal that about themselves or the other characters can reveal it about a character also, it just becomes this like paragraphs and paragraphs of narrative. And that can be really boring to the reader, even though obviously it's interesting to you and you're the one who came up with this world and these characters. So, of course, you find them fascinating and you want to share everything that you come up with. But the best way to do it is to do it piece by piece and not just overload your reader all at once with a giant block of information. Mm -hmm. When you get a a manuscript, you go through it and then I guess you spend... How much time do you actually spend with your client kind of going through it and then they go off and they write again and then it comes back to you again? How much, just that first step after the initial pass, how much time does that usually take? On my end for the first pass, I usually ask for at least one month and I read each manuscript three times before I send it back. So the first time I'm going through it as a reader because I like to know where does the pacing stall? Do I feel satisfied with this conclusion? That sort of thing. And I make notes as I go along also, but more like a beta reader would. 
Then I go through and I edit any of the small things that might be distracting me from the larger developmental issues. And then I go through it again a third time and I much pickier on that third round. And I also have all the notes that I wrote during my second round when I was first reading it as an editor. And I go back in and I integrate all of those and make comments as to why the notes are there, why this suggestion is being made. Because I never want the author to feel like I'm, you know, browbeating them about you should do this thing and this is how it is. I want them to understand why this suggestion is there. And then I leave it up to the author for how long it takes them to return it because I don't ever want to impose a deadline upon them that may be completely arbitrary. And I'd rather see them feel fulfilled with what they're able to get out of it and then turn it into me instead of, well, I rushed through. I'm still not really happy with chapter three, for instance, because I knew I had to get this back to you in four days. And so I just really pushed myself to do it. And I never want to be that person. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you there. As far as characters and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, do you kind of, uh, you know, I guess part of it we already mentioned, but do you kind of coach them a little bit? If maybe the character isn't fleshed out, or in the first case you mentioned, they give you too much information. Yes. And yes, that's something that I do as well. So when I return a developmental edit, I also have an editorial summary. And that summary will divide it up into sections. And I'll touch on at least two or three main characters. And I also let the author know, especially like with a science fiction novel where it may take place in even different planets and have different species of characters or fantasy too, especially epic fantasy where you can easily have 50 to 100 characters with names on the page. If you have another character in here and I haven't you know, done a character sketch or gone into what I think needs worked on or where they might fall flat a little bit, go ahead and contact me and we can run through that character as well. But yeah, so I'll take the two or three main characters. And sometimes, again, with a larger cast, that can be really hard to narrow down. Mm -hmm. But I'll go in depth and I'll discuss them and psychoanalyze them a little bit and why their actions might make sense in this way and why maybe perhaps given their background, it doesn't make sense so much this way. I think that's especially important for sci-fi where if we have, for instance, an alien from another planet, we can't expect them to have the same worldviews that we have or to notice the same things that we do or even the phrasing and the words they use. So if they see an animal, a cat, they're not going to say, oh, look at that feline, look at that or that cat-like animal if they see a lion. We have to rephrase and retune all of these perceptions that would be natural to us so that they now feel natural for this other you know, race of alien. Science fiction and really fantasy, mm -hmm. and even in some cases, horror world building is a beast in itself. So, yes. I mean, <laughs> that takes a lot of time. I, I mean, I, have you ever said to a person, look, I think you need to research a little more or something along those lines? I have, yes. And sometimes, <laughs> I've, said, <laughs> sometimes I've suggested perhaps they should look into A, B, or C, or I might suggest also a book or a movie in the genre that reminds me a little bit of what they're going for and say, just like so-and-so does here, we could try something similar with your work and apply that. And then there's also beta readers too. If they haven't had beta readers yet, I might suggest they go that route before they jump into editing because editing is a huge commitment, both not just financially, but also emotionally. Yeah. And yeah, you're opening yourself up and you have to be really 
ready to receive feedback and prepared to make any of these changes and possibly massively rewrite your work depending on the feedback you receive. So if you've already had beta readers and you've heard some of this same information already, it's not such a slap. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. feel so brutal to hear it from an editor, but also it helps you better prepare the document before you send it off to a professional. And it also just helps it, you know, be in stronger shape and some of these finer issues that may have been picked up by the beta readers, you can already address. So you can just skip over those. Do you recommend that every author use a beta reader so that I guess somebody, another pair of eyes to look at it that isn't as committed, that kind of thing? Yes, I do. But I say that with a little bit of a caveat, don't just hire anybody to be your beta mm -hmm. reader. So yeah, if you are writing sci-fi and then the people who show interest in your work and offer to be beta readers and you notice they primarily read, say, women's fiction, you probably don't want them to be your beta readers. Right. And then also let your expectations be known ahead of time. Let them know what it is you're looking for and what kind of feedback you'd like. Because mm -hmm. sometimes they might not know or they might already have their own style of how they address issues written down that they abide by. But it might not be what you had in mind. So you might not want a scene by scene breakdown. You might just want, you know, your, you know, just give me like your stream of consciousness thoughts about how you felt about this book. I don't want anything formal. I just want to know if someone stopped you on the street and caught you by surprise and said, what did you like or dislike about this book? What would you just think of saying without really putting too much thought into it? Because sort of, you know, those are your initial reactions and they're probably truer to what you really feel than a thought out essay. But other people do want that more thought out essay and the more formal approach. So again, having those expectations set ahead of time can also be helpful. Now that you do offer uh, book doctoring and writing coaching. Yes. And this is this is pretty much starting with like you you'll discuss the manuscript, the, the outline, and mm -hmm. then pretty much help them get through you know, the story and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of emphasizing the fundamentals they need to to get this done and uh, and then literally complete the manuscript and then uh, write into the uh, rough draft. And then I, you put on your editor's hat and you and you would edit that, too. If has that happened where you do the coaching and everything and then somebody goes to get another editor usually or. Yes, and that's what I would suggest that they do because at that point, I'm so familiar with the work and I've worked with them in most cases to the point that I've written out lines and possibly even a paragraph or two to show them, here's a stronger way we could do this. Here's a way we can do this so that we are using active phrasing instead of passive phrasing. And at that point, I'm not going to be able to look at it as an editor. Mm -hmm. And so I very strongly recommend that they find somebody else to go over and edit the work. Just like if I'm writing something, even just a blog post or whatever, I'll send it to somebody else to proofread. Even if that person is just a close friend, you know, it's easy to make mistakes when we're looking at our own writing. Oh, yeah, most <laughs> definitely. As far as uh, the market, what's the market like? Not necessarily for science fiction. But the publishing market itself, it seems because of ebooks, mm -hmm. there's a lot more places that a book can be seen than it used to be in the past. I think for marketing, especially for indie authors, that helps a lot. 
And then also it's easier to find out about places to go to, like the conventions and the writers conferences and things. And I've even heard of people taking their books to coffee shops and sitting down and selling their books in coffee shops. You know, they're just sitting there at Starbucks or whatever, typing away on their laptop. Oh yeah, I'm writing book two and I brought book one to reference and people come up and say, oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me about it? So whatever works, but I really do think just that extra visibility and that extra awareness now helps immensely. And then the publishing industry in general, there's always going to be fluctuations between the selling of eBooks versus the selling of physical copies. You know, the pandemic sort of showed us that a little bit too. Oh yeah. I think, yeah. Buying a physical book was almost like a, a security blanket, at least for some people. For me, I know it was, I ordered a ton of physical books because I couldn't go to bookstores anymore and I probably overbought physical books, but it was that feeling of, well, how long will I be at home? Yeah, <laughs> I hear you there. I'm prepared. <laughs> Safely Talk returns in a moment. As far as submitting books, you know, or manuscripts, I, I obviously in, in the old days, you would just mail it to publishers and a lot of times they wouldn't even get seen. Um, but how do you recommend that they get an agent to to forward it for them or that might have some contacts rather than doing it themselves? That depends on what they're going for. And I always make sure they're aware of the pros and cons of each one. Traditional publishing, the odds are very, very low. I mean, it's less than 1% that is going to be picked up by a traditional publisher. And then even if it is picked up, it's going to be in a really long wait. And you also have to give up some of that control too. They're also not as likely to pick up a series, especially if you're an unknown author to them, because they don't know that your first book is going to sell. So they're not going to automatically sign on for your three book sci-fi series. So for some people that then makes self-publishing or going with a smaller indie publisher much more appealing. And there are some publishers where you can submit to them and you don't have to have an agent. So as I see those come up, especially during pitch events on Twitter and similar platforms, I'll share those with my authors who I know are looking for something like that. And then there are others who are just like, nope, I just want to have it up right away. I have a certain date in mind. I'm committed to it being published by this date. So I'm going to self-publish. So I'll also refer them to people then who can help them through the rest of the process, Mm -hmm. like a cover designer and a formatter. And then some people also prefer to hire out their marketing. So I might refer. I might refer them also then to someone who does marketing or web design too, if that's also something they'd rather not do themselves. What about uh, book trailers? Are you a fan of those? From what I've heard, they don't really bring in sales. Oh, wow. And I don't really know why that is. (laughs) I like watching them, but I don't know that I've ever actually clicked on one to buy the book. Oh, that's interesting. That is really, really interesting. I just talked to an author the other day, and he has three books, and he has a trailer for each one of them. And they're very they're very nice. You know, they're very well produced. Mm-hmm. I've seen some that are very well produced. I've seen ones that aren't so well produced. But yeah. uh, apparently they're all in the in the same uh, in the same boat. Now, I know that Amazon has a a system uh, like, for example, i it, I forget what it is with what it's called with Kindle where essentially you can submit your books or you could sell your books as an ebook, uh-huh. uh, you know, for the Kindle. 
and it's like exclusive for the Kindle. Um, yeah, I think that's the the KDP thing. So then you can't sell it anywhere, anywhere else. else. Yeah, yeah. That route. Yeah. But a lot of people prefer to do that just because one, it's easy, it's fast to do. Also, I mean, you could finish your edits, say today, and then put your book up on Monday. Mm-hmm. That has a lot of appeal, and a lot of people also just instantly go to Amazon when they think they need to purchase a book. And for instance, I live out in the middle of nowhere. So for me, Amazon really is my best bet if I'm looking for a book or wanting to expand my library or just want to read something new so I can understand it from that aspect too. Do, do you, didn't they have a program where you could submit your book and if some, they, it can be an ebook or if somebody wants a hard copy, they can, yeah. uh, they can, they essentially will only print the hard copy on each demand, each on, on, on a demand rather than print a thousand books that might not mm-hmm. go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so they'll do print on demand. Mm-hmm. And that's also nice too. So people that choose to print their books on their own, it's a huge expense. Yeah. And then especially if you decide, well, then you have to take accounting into consideration too. And what if that's just not your strong suit? And you're taking a lot of big, huge guesses here and gambles because if you're printing so many copies of your book and you're out thousands of dollars, what if they don't sell? You're stuck with that versus Uh going the Amazon route where they're printing on demand and you're still seeing a profit from each book that they print on demand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's it's, That seems like an easy choice. No, they have, they have a great system. (laughs) They have a very great system and it's obviously worked. A lot of authors, become bestsellers on Amazon. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that are self-published or indie publishers, you know. It's- exactly. And I think that's another reason why in the past five years, especially we've seen the tables turning a little bit with indie publishing, self-publishing compared yeah. to traditional publishers, because there are a lot of indie publishers now or people that self-publish and they are becoming bestsellers or getting movie rights or TV rights to their shows on and major networks too, or not networks anymore, but streaming platforms. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, show my age a little bit there. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, networks are still around. They're just not at their peak as they used to be because right. they were the only game in town. As far as audiobooks, do you recommend that, maybe not at, not at first, but if especially if the book becomes successful, that that's another avenue to go as far as marketing and getting the book out there to people that prefer to listen to it rather than to read it. I always recommend that authors do whatever feels right to them. And so some will just have a very strong desire to see their book in an audio format. And then in that case, go for it. And my general advice is just if you're on the wall or you're on the fence about something, or you don't really have a strong inclination one way or the other, probably don't do it because you're going to be investing a lot of time into this, possibly money as well. And you don't want to be waffling about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, audiobooks, I think, have really picked up also. And so it does help to have an audiobook. And even just watching Bookstagram and Book Talk, you see that audiobooks aren't really being treated the same with that, that same stigma they used to have, where it was right. not really reading a book. And that's going away a little bit, which is really nice. So I do think that that's helping broaden their appeal too, or even helping people see it as another avenue for listening to a story they might have missed out on otherwise. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of companies that specialize in that, 
had their um, own staple of narrators where you don't yeah. have to look for freelancers on your own kind of thing. They have a lot of different uh, people on staff that do things. And uh, so, hey, it, it's really an amazing uh, offshoot of that. So uh, really incredible. I want to tell you, it's been very illuminating talking to you. The website for her website uh, is um, JaniaEdits.com. Uh, and what I see that's really cool is I see a lot of your authors are return authors and yeah. are return clients. They come back and, and work with you again. That's always a good sign. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. So, yeah, so it's that's a great place to start. Um, as far as... Just one last question about editing. You don't recommend that somebody self-edits their books. No. <laughs> and again, that's just because you're only one person, and so you only have your perspective and how you see it and view it. But editors are also trained beyond just what your reader will see. We're trained to look for things like plot and character arcs and theme and how theme is carried out. And does it come to a satisfying conclusion? And does that conclusion match up with the events that were led down to this point? Does mm -hmm. it feel like it all ties together? Yeah. And the reader might not necessarily have that information or that knowledge, but they'll still pick up on it. They might not be able to articulate why something bothers them, but they will know that something does. Oh, there you and go. So as editors, that's our job to go through on behalf of the reader, really, and say, here is where we might have an issue. Here is where we might want to look at rewriting this or mm. considering adding another plot point. Yeah, yeah. Or, or in, in some cases, you got to cut this. You, do, you don't really need all this. So, you yes, know. And that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just thought of one more question. A lot of editors also write. So do you do any writing for yourself at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did when I was younger. And obviously, I did when I was on the newspapers. And then when I was in grad school, and I wrote a lot of, not even nonfiction material, but basically nonfiction material like parenting guides and that sort of thing. But from a psychologist's point of view and in conjunction with brain development and that sort of thing. But I found that I really prefer editing. I just yeah. feel like I don't, <laughs> I don't have the imagination to take a story from the start all the way to the finish and have it feel engaging the entire way through. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I'm I'm kind of in this school. I I can I can't see something from scratch, mm -hmm. but when I see something that's done, I can I can see the parts that that are having trouble, whether it's yeah. a movie or a book. And but I, as far as me sitting down and with a blank page and saying where where do I start, uh, yeah. and I I can't do that. But I can see hey, boy this. This section here of this in this movie way too long, or I needed to see a little more and I didn't see it. That, well, that kind of thing. It's just easier to see it for me when mm -hmm. it's completed. So uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, you take care.